Good afternoon, folks. This is Kimberly Jessica reporting in live today. It is Thanksgiving weekend, the day after Black Friday and the Saturday before Cyber Monday. And I'm pretty excited today because, you know, I I just smell happiness in the air and change in the air. Even though, you know, we've been losing some huge people this year, we just lost uh, the Brady Bunch mom uh, a couple of days ago, and, uh, you know, we've lost, uh, you know, a couple of world leaders and just a lot going on. But I'm pretty excited today because I'm having the opportunity to interview a very modest gentleman that, you know, he's focusing on some things that are pretty interesting when it comes to writer's block and the psychology of script writers and writers in Hollywood. But this man is what I call a legend, and let me tell you why before I give you who he is. This man has written shows that you and I have literally sat back and made a part of our lives every week or at any point in our life as an adult or if we have children, they, his shows that he's written has, and he's also produced has been a part of our children's lives. And let me tell you why. If you've ever heard of shows like, say, Girlfriends, uh, Duckman, uh, Dilbert, The Wild Thornberry, like, seriously, The Wild Thornberry, that's huge in of itself. Um, if you've ever heard of stuff like, uh, you know, Tom, The Good Life, Cafe American, Beetlejuice, anybody? Hello? That's huge. New heart. Like, we're going back here to the 80s. Like, I, 9 to 5. The new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Like, who doesn't like Winnie the Pooh? And hello, I used to literally sit back and watch Alvis, Alice, One Day at a Time, the Jeffersons, now we're going back to the 70s. Yeah, we're talking about him, that guy. None other than David Silverman, who's on the line with us today. David, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Wow, that was a big Yay! Great to be here. All right, yeah, this is this is great, David. Thank you so much for taking the time to interview with us today. It is a wonderful. It's, this is such a wonderful opportunity to be talking to you. Yeah, oh great. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, excited about it too. Yeah, so David, you know, you have this amazing Hollywood life where you're, you know, you've written all these amazing shows and produced a lot of them, but you've also picked up a new career. Well, it's not that new, but you picked up a career. What people that don't even realize think they realize that you are also a licensed marriage and family therapist and you have your master's degree. And you really, you help screenwriters help them with their writing, help them with their writer's block help them getting into the flow, help them staying motivated, help them with rituals to keep on track. I mean, you're, you're helping them with their creativity, uh, learning the, the archetypes of films that sell. Yeah, seriously, I, I, I'm just speechless here. You know, David, I, I've got to ask you. Tell us, you know, people love to let, you know, talking to people like you, people love to know the story. Tell us the story and, and, and behind the man. What's the myth behind the man, the truth, and the untruth? Tell us everything. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, I uh, I kind of started out uh, looking to get into psychology. But, um, you know, I was kind of a funny guy in high school. I, I did the uh, 
the uh, I was the cartoonist for the school newspaper, and uh, you know I was writing funny scripts and things all through college. And um, so when it came to I graduated from Stanford with a degree in psychology, and you know I decided I kind of made a took a, a year off and I decided to uh, to try screenwriting. I applied to USC Cinema Department, and I was kind of surprised that I got in there. And um, I met my writing partner, Steve Sestarsik, there. And it wasn't long before we were pitching Mark and Mindy. We sold a story there. And uh, we got uh, uh, those producers called the Jeffersons, got us in there. We wrote a few episodes. And then that, once we were in the Norman Lear uh, group there, we walked across the, you know, to the other office. I dropped the script off, and I got a call from the story editor one day at a time. They brought us in, and we got hired as, uh, as story editors on that show. So it happened pretty fast, actually, maybe, you know, within the span of one year. So we were very lucky, but I guess we were very good. <laughs> no, I mean, you had to have been really good because, you know, nano, nano, I mean, Mork and Mindy, I mean, seriously, I used to love these shows, like the Jefferson, George Jefferson. I, I loved Archie Bunker. I loved One Day at a Time. Of course, you didn't write Archie Bunker, but still, it's long as, you know, you have the Jeffersons, Mod, Archie Bunker. You know, those were kind of like, you know, um, along the same lines. They were like uh, kind of in the same genre, you know, of the Jack Comack days. I hope I'm saying his name right, but you know who I'm talking about. He also did Wonder Woman. He did uh, Chico and the Man. He did uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. You know what I mean? So you, you, yeah. you, you, you're going, you know, I love Jack. I think his name is Jack Comack. Am I saying his name right? Uh, that sounds right, yeah. Comack. Yeah, Jack Comack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Welcome Back, Cotter. He wrote, you know, um, he also wrote Chico and the Man. He also, you know, he had some work. He did some work with Wonder Woman from the 70s. You know, and you know, and then you had Mod, and Mod had crossovers with Archie Bunker, and then Tom, you know, the Jeffersons, and then of course you had One Day at a Time. And if I'm not mistaken, One Day at a Time kind of almost felt like the Facts of Life and, and different strokes a little bit too. You know, because some of these shows have the same kind of feel, and I, I just find it amazing that you know you you've done so much, and even with Alice and Mel and Flo, and you know, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I could go back here. What's happening? I mean, you brought that back to life from the 70s. And I just, I totally remember, David, you know, being a little girl. I wasn't that little. I was a, you know, I was a young teenager back when What's Happening Now came back to television. I was really excited because, you know, of course, you know, Roger, who I just interviewed actually two years ago, um, he's in his 70s now. Um, but he, and, you know, was an adult at that point and what's happening now. And I remember me and my mom and my family sitting on the living room couch back in 85 being so excited that what's happening now was back on television and Shirley and Dwayne Wayne. And you, you, you did some amazing work there, you know. What, what was it like, you know, um, where'd you, what was your inspiration to come up with these phenomenal ideas, uh, David? Yeah, we, um, let's see, well, you know, we we drew uh, inspiration from just life, you know. The normal weird shows were about real life. Um, One Day at a Time was uh, the first show about a single mom, actually. And Mackenzie mm. Phillips and Valerie, Valerie Bertinelli were the two daughters she was bringing up. And uh, hard to believe there was never a show about a single mom before that, but, you know, leave it to Well, I mean, was it the Partridge family? The Partridge family, right? 
No, the Partridge family was like from the sixties actually. That was like kind of like single momish a little bit. Oh yeah, maybe. Uh well it was the first sitcom anyway that, that Yeah. Didn't, you know, delved into that. So uh, What was it like was working fun. with Valerie and Pat and Mom and, and Mackenzie and what was it like working, you know, thinking inside of these characters' brains to, to bring about bring them uh, to life? Yeah, it was a very interesting time to be on that show because Mackenzie Phillips had been let go because she had mm-hmm. a lot of dr- drug problems. Drug issues, yes. And um, Valerie Bertinelli was dating uh, Eddie Van Halen at the time. And he was Yes, I remember that. That was such a big deal. Like, yeah, the Van Halen, the Van Halens came uh, forward about you, those two dating together. It was amazing. Amazing. And Van Halen was pretty big. I think they had just came out with Jump back then. Yeah, and uh, Eddie Van Halen was always on the set, you know, just hanging around with Valerie and Aww. drinking a Heineken. <laughs> you know, it's like very, very cool to be around that. And then Mackenzie Phillips came back and did kind of a reunion show. So it's fun to be around that atmosphere. There's a lot of a lot of inside Hollywood gossip going on. It was like a very interesting. Uh, that was our first uh, staff job as writers. Wow. Did you ever meet David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar on the set, too? I know Sammy came after him and took over the vocals, but, you know, did you ever get a chance to meet David Lee Roth as well as, you know, as well as any of them? No, I didn't, but uh, it was pretty, you know, Eddie Van Halen was a very kind of quiet, introverted mm-hmm. guy. It was off in the corner, and he was just always watching Valerie, you know, it was kind of. Uh, it was kind of, you know, he wasn't like a big old rock and roll star, like you'd picture them, you know. Right. right. And, and, and Valerie was like totally the hottest thing out at that time, too. She's super pretty, like super pretty. Like she was like, every girl like every girl wanted to look like Valerie Bertinelli with the little feathered hair in the front, little feathered bangs, and every, I, I wanted to look like her. I mean, you know what? We were not even <laughs> yeah. the same way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, you know, and so then you went on, uh, you did One Day at a Time, and what was it like working on Alice? I mean, that was kind of single momish too. Alice was a single mom working with, in a diner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was. Um, it was fun. Uh, the guy who played Mal, Vic Tabak, was a really great guy. Oh, he I love Vic. Yeah, he's a good actor. He was in the original movie. You know, people forget that Martin Scorsese uh, directed uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore, which is where the, which is where that uh, spinoff came from, the the Alice TV show, and it was run by oh. Bob Carroll and Madeline Pugh, Madeline Davis Jr., who were the two people who uh, who did all the I Love Lucy's. So it's kind of interesting working with some legends, you know, the people we were particularly mm. used to, and working out the. The, the comedy, block comedy scenes and, and jokes and stuff. It was kind of like, hey, we're working around these guys who pretty much started and invented the sitcom. Yeah, you're talking legends here. Like you said, it's it's so sad when you even sit back. You know, Vic is gone now. He's been gone since a while, since, since 1990. But, you know, I love Mel. He kind of almost had a feel of uh, Telly Savalas a little bit, Kojak a little bit, you know. To me, he yeah. kinda, they kind of had that same feel going on, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Of all the actors I worked with, he was, like, I think the most friendliest, the guy who, you know, he owned a racehorse at the time, and he'd invite us to the track and buy us drinks. And 
he'd even put bets, uh, you know, on his horses or, or just. Oh, uh, wow. It's funny. He was like the most generous actor, I think, you know, in, in 25 years that I've ever worked with. Wow, wow. Rest is soul in peace. His son Christopher is still around, I think, though, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's up to, but, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, and then you went on and you worked with what's happening now. Tell me, you know, David, what was it like bringing together, you know, this cast from the 70s that were around with That's My Mama, What's Happening, you know, Good Times. What was it like, you know, what, now was this the one, did Maybelline, did, uh, Mama, did the mother come back? I, I, or she, I don't think she had died yet. I don't think she died yet. Now you're testing my, my memory. Uh, now I just, I think, uh, you know, most of the stories involved uh, Raj and his, his wife. And, and his sister. Uh, and his wife, yes. And Rerun, I think, was in some of, you know, most of the episodes. And, uh, yeah, and, and Dwayne was in the, yeah, and Shirley had came back. Right, yeah, Shirley Humpel, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah it was Shirley great. had came back. Yeah, it was a great, uh, that was a great experience, too. I mean, those guys were very funny. And we were working with the two of the guys who, produced the Jeffersons went on to do to bring that show back and they were always fun to work with wow wow I you know it, it was amazing I remember when uh Roger came back with his wife um and uh she was and she that that was the start of like her career from being Roger's wife I forgot her name but um you know yeah, I, I totally remember. Dee had grown up, and she was sneaking into the living room that night. I, I just totally remember it. I was being, I was so excited to, you know, basically see Dee again, you know, with her just always harassing her brother and telling on him and getting him spanked. So, so it was just, you know, you're talking memories here from from the '70s and bringing back these shows. It was just, it was just amazing. Um, and then, of course, you did New Heart and you did uh, Alf. How was it working on Alf? Because Alf, Alf made me, I got in trouble when, in school for telling a girl that she looked like Alf. I, I got I got in a lot of trouble <laughs> we arguing, and I told her that she she looked like a little furry thing. And I didn't just say Alf. I said, you look like that little furry thing named Alf. And I got in trouble. I got put out the classroom. <laughs> and she was yeah. so angry. She was so mad at me for telling her that. What was it like working? I'm going to ask you about Alf since I got in trouble for saying that someone looked like him. <laughs> Right, yeah. No, Alf was a lot of fun. Alf was a, a very funny show. Um, we didn't shoot it in front of a live audience because um, Alf was, uh, you know, a $50,000 puppet. Uh, and the guy who did the voice operated, you know, the, the puppet. It was a pretty sophisticated thing. You know, the ears and the eyes moved. And it was all done kind of, uh, you know, through electronic stuff. There was some, you know, Wi-Fi stuff going on there. Um, and we had trenches built in the set wow. and on the Sony lot. And the, it was so basically the, like the living room floor was about at chest level. And we had these uh, trenches so the guy who ran the puppet and did the voice could walk around and make it look like Alf was uh, just sitting on the couch or whatever, you know. It was wow. amazing. But, the uh, magic that they come up with for these shows. I mean, this is seriously magic. I mean, to the point where the audiences are bought in it, body, mind, and soul. Like, they they identify with these characters, even if it's a freaking puppet. Puppet. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was a huge, I mean, 
during that time. Of all the shows I think I've written for, uh, I think most people tell me that uh, Alpha is their favorite show. You know, it was a good it was a good show for kids too, and it was very funny and appealed to adults. So it was a it was a fun show to work on. It was funny, and like I said, I got in trouble. I got put out of the classroom for telling a girl that she looked like Alf, so I, I'll never forget that. She was so mad at me. Uh, <laughs> so here I am talking to the guy that wrote the show that got me kicked out of class. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it was an interesting show to work on. There was one of the actors there. I'm not going to name names, but um, he, he, was, he was so into his part and I don't know, you know, actors can be, uh, you know, very uh, into their characters. And so there was there was a line, I forget the exact line, but he said, I would never tell Alf this. And he got, you know, very upset. And he actually stormed off and, and locked himself in his dressing room for the rest of the day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He really, he was, okay, he might have been a little over the top. I mean, I would never say this to Alf. I mean, Alf is a puppet, yeah. dude, seriously. I mean, it's like saying I won't you know, say this I, to Mr. Piggy or Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. Actors can be a little, you know, high strung, I guess that's a good word to use. Well you gotta you gotta have something going on to even do that kind of job, you know? Yeah, he punched the, his fist through the wall that day too, he's so upset about it. I think he was just upset, upset about storming off and costing us a day of filming. And then the next day he bought the writing staff uh like a, a crate of Dom Perignon uh, as a, kind of a makeup gift. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he, he, he came clean about it. So, yeah, but he really took his job way too seriously at that point. So, yeah, that was a bit much. Yeah, that was a bit much. That's a bit much. I wouldn't say you. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, then I was going to say, then you have the ones that, you know, don't take their jobs that seriously. And so he was really passionate. He was passionate about this character. Absolutely. And a very talented actor, yeah. Wow, and you can of course you can't tell us who it was, right? <laughs> yeah, I better not. I better not say. <laughs> you're so funny. You're funny too. You saw you're mischievous. <laughs> that's what you get for being such a good writer. You got actors going crazy because you're such a good. That's what. That's all your fault. Shame on you for being a good writer. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, guilty as charged. Yeah, it's all your fault. <laughs> we'll just blame you. Yeah, I take full responsibility. <laughs> you said I'll take full responsibility. <laughs> right, right. I love it. Okay, so then you went on and you did, um, you know, you did a couple of episodes of The Good Life, but then you went on and you did Ha Real Monsters. You did Duckman. You did Life with Louie. Hello, that's another big one. Um, you, you, seriously, you, 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 you did like Undressed, uh, you did Gilbert, uh, Girlfriends, seriously, and then we get into the, the Wild Thornberries. Tell us about the Wild Thornberries, David. Spill the beans. Tell us. I've got my well, key right here. Well, the inside story. Okay, so, um, we had a development deal, my partner and I, at Fox. Uh, which is um, lucky you like dreams come true hello yeah it's the best job in the world uh, you get paid to sit around and come up with ideas for tv shows so we uh we had uh the people who did the animation for that and they did the first year of the simpsons as well was uh, uh 
Klesky, Supo Animation. I don't, you're an animator. You might know something about that as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, they did Rugrats as well. So Rugrats was around. They were looking for another show. and uh, Yeah, my nephews they, were really upset when the Rugrats all growed up. Like, they were really pissed off with the Rugrats. Grew up. I know. But continue. They, they, did, <laughs> they did a couple movies with uh, – they did Rugrats Go Wild, which was a combination of the – the Wild Thornberry's characters and uh, and the Rugrats. So there were, you know, feature films based on. They were like uh, there was uh, the the uh, Wild Thornberry's movie, and then Rugrats Go Wild, which is, which had them in it as well. And then there was a, a Donnie uh, TV movie that appeared on on uh, uh, like I think it was Cartoon Network or something, but. Um, uh, and the guy who did the, the voice of Donnie, well, Donnie was like a, he was raised by um, wolves, basically, uh, and he didn't speak uh, English. He just made kind of noise, noises, and he was done, his voice was done by Flea from the Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So that, that was interesting. Uh, it started out mm-hmm. as a um, as an adult show, and the the dad. Uh, who was played by Tim Curry, was the guy who could talk to animals when we first developed it. Um, so we did, and it was it was slated they wanted they wanted to develop something going after The Simpsons. So so we had, we we did a bunch of different versions. We did a, a version of him as an Englishman, which finally yeah. stuck. After a while, they said, "Oh, people can't relate to English people," so. They asked us to change it to an American, and then we did that. And we we went back. Eventually, I think they they, just, they preferred the English uh, character. Um, you know, um, Nigel Thornberry was a, a world adventurer, and uh, he took the family everywhere he went. And so they decided they changed their mind again and decided to make it a kids' show, and they changed mm. it so that. Um, Liza was the the daughter was the one that could speak to animals. So anyway, it, it was a great idea. It got kids interested in well, like a lot of environmental issues and uh, you know keeping the endangered species uh, around and all all these great things. And it uh, it was fun to write because I mean you get to talk to animals. You know. <laughs> you get wow. So anyway, it was a great experience, and uh, Husky and Chupa were uh, really great to us. Really, uh, the people who did the animation, um, very, very great people to work with. Arlene uh, Klosky and Gabor Chupa, they were Hungarian. Very talented people. You were you were the creator, literally. You were the creator of the show. That's just yeah, huge. Yeah, co-creator. 88 the, episodes. That's a lot of episodes. 88 episodes. Yeah. From 98 to 2004. I didn't write them all. I just created the show. <laughs> yeah, you created the show. I mean, seriously. And then there was a Wild Thornberry's The Movie and the, yeah. and the Origin of Donnie. I mean, you you took this places, man. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, it was a, what can I say, a great experience. I want to be like you when I grow up. Yeah, I can't believe it. You know, when I look back, I can't believe that I did all this stuff. The, the thing about it is, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you and I, are, our careers kind of parallel. It's kind of wild because, um, you know, coming to this country as a little girl, I 
Spanish was my first language. I came here from Panama, and I had major learning disabilities. And I just remember that when I excelled in school, it, I excelled in school whenever I was reading, um, you know, picture books, anything with pictures, anything with that I had to put my hands on, I excelled in school. Anything that it was with math or anything like that, you know, needless to say, you know, there was developmental delay and developmental ophthalmology and ADHD and partial, uh, you know, dyslexia. It was all this stuff going on. And so when I got my master's degree, mine was to help kids. I ran a special ed department. And so I created my animations and picture books that that was how my kids, excelled in school and did well. They learned by my picture books like I did. So, of course, when I retired myself from being a teacher, I went on and I started writing all these children's books, and then I turned them all into scripts and treatments and all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. So here you are where you did all this first, and now you're the guy that helps writers and people that want to go into the field of work that you have done bring their magic to life. What was the the tipping point that made you say, you know what, I'm done with this for a while. Let me go back to school and get an entire master's degree in marriage and family therapy, which, by the way, folks, is not an easy degree to get. Let me let you know that. Um, (laughs) Let me get a a systems model, not just a, a medical model, like mine is the medical model. Let me get a systems family therapy, master's in family therapy model degree and let and 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 come back to hollywood as a psychotherapist what was the tipping point david spill the tea well you know i got to tell you the the story goes back to my uh my childhood uh Mm. my brother my brother had ocd as a kid and you know when he's in his teens and you know the kind where you you know the the germ phobic type Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hands, you know, over and over, and a lot of other kind of ritualistic things. So I was in family therapy with a psychiatrist for, it seemed like, you know, six or seven years. Every, uh, you know, every every um, week we'd go into to family therapy, and I was just a kid, you know, and my younger brother was going through this, so I really saw him miraculously turn around. And now he's been working at the same job for like 30 years, and he has a house. Wow! He's married, so I saw that happen, you know, firsthand, and uh, that affected me quite a bit as I went uh, decided to major in psychology at Stanford. And you know, it was always a big interest of mine. Uh, you know, I was always fascinated by the study of human behavior, and they have great professors at Stanford. Uh, Philip Zimbardo, the guy who came up with the Stanford Prison Experiment, was the guy who taught my Psych 101 class. Uh, so they were like famous, you know, renowned uh, like researchers, and uh, so that was exciting. I got pretty psyched up about uh, that, and uh, so I, I graduated with honors from Stanford in that subject matter. So uh, you know, so it was always there in the back of my head. I'm, here I am. You know, writing, really loving that job. It's so much fun, i got to tell you. I mean, it's it's hard work, and it's very competitive. And you got to, you know, there's rejection, procrastination. There's a lot of anxiety. There's deadlines, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so I decided, you know, when I went back and 
got my license to to work to focus on writers and you know writers spend a lot of time alone with their own thoughts they're isolated they're pretty much they tend to be introverted a lot uh, quite a bit and um, they tend to be really highly sensitive people with a lot of empathy uh, so they tend to get you know there's a, like a high incidence of uh, different problems uh, psychological problems that writers mm. Gone, gone through. Um, so, I um, yeah, I focused on that, and I work with screenwriters and TV writers. Uh, I work with um, a team of writers who uh, mm. there was a <laughs> they were boyfriend and girlfriend before they got onto the show. I won't name the show, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a very big uh, hour show on TV. So they were boyfriend and girlfriend before they got on the show. Then they broke up, but they continued writing as a team. So when they got hired on their first show, there was a lot of problems because she had a, you know, she had a boyfriend and he had a girlfriend. There was a lot of jealousy. It was kind of like a family therapy, trying to work with wow. people to get them on, on board on the same page. And uh, I have other writers who are, uh, one one guy who's married to a, a writer uh, who's a co-exec on a big show, another hour show, and um, he's struggling. Uh, he, he had a, a, a staff job, but then 10 years went by, and he's trying to get back into it. And uh, it's so frustrating, you know, for writers trying to get back into, into writing now uh, on television. So uh, helping him through it, we're working on, you know, there's uh, some issues about perfectionism uh, there's a kind of perfectionism where uh, you know you're so focused on getting it right that you you don't quite see the big picture and so a lot of the like every scene could be perfect but the story might not be and so there's and those perfectionists on. I tell you <laughs> they uh, look yeah, at people yeah. like me and they critique my, 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 my spelling errors, and I'm like, if you don't leave my spelling errors alone, and look at the creative stuff that I created here, so I'm, I'm you know, with the dyslexia thing going, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Sure, sure. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like the big picture girl, you know what I mean? I'm like, this, we have a wonderland here, but you want to go and take the wood, the magical forest apart over there, because it doesn't, the tree's not supposed to be there, and you want to go over here and take over, take, you know, get rid of uh, the enchanted forest and you want to get rid of the dark forest and uh, yeah i <laughs> hope that makes sense but yeah that's that's kind of what goes on in my head <laughs> right yeah um yeah that's you know it's hard not to be a perfectionist in television because you're uh, you know everybody's looking at your grammar like you said they're yeah I'm sure your 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 sentences sound right plus they have to be conversational and um yeah, when you're on a staff and you're writing, everybody, like, you know, you, you're in a room full of writers and uh, everybody gets your pages and they rewrite you, you know. So mm-hmm. takes, that takes a lot of, that's kind of a psychological challenge right there. So, you know, you have to get along. Yeah, I mean, especially a lot of people don't don't take rejection well, you know. Yeah, it is, I know. Yeah, one thing I do... Uh, I like to tell people who are starting out as writers is to the one thing that happens when you really commit 
and you decide you're going to do this for this is your life, and one way or another you're going to be writing for the rest of your life, and uh, just fully commit to it in that way. Um, and think about it in the long term. A lot of writers have this problem where they write the first screenplay and they feel like they have to sell this, and they feel like they have to get it made. Now, the odds of that happening are very are very slim. Uh, it's happened a few times. I think you have little Cody got Juno made that way, but it's uh, you know she had a past of she wrote uh, a lot of uh, other things, novels and things before that. So it does, there's no really overnight successes in this business. So. But, um, so if you're um, if you commit to the long term, then I tell people um, you want to think of this as you're going to be writing maybe a hundred scripts in your you know career, and uh, so this first one you know if it doesn't sell, that's okay. You're learning, and what may happen is these early scripts could get you a meeting with an agent or get you into pitch a movie to a producer. But people look at it as it's, it's the, I, I encourage them to look at it as a writing sample uh, instead of, hey, I have to get this film produced. i got to raise the money and make this for this first script, you know, into a film. So mm-hmm. I encourage people to think of it as a process, think of this career as a process. And uh, and when, when that happens, when you think it will take the long, uh, you know, kind of uh, look at look at the long, uh, you know, the, your entire career, you tend not to focus on the individual rejections as much. You know, you're looking forward to mm. the next project. And I also encourage people to do multiple projects. So uh, so if if you put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, and that it's like psychologically. Bottom falls out, you're, 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 yeah, you've got a, a leakage. If that bottom falls out, you're that's it. Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah, so um, so I try to work with writers on that kind of attitude, just you know, way of uh, refocusing uh, or you know, just looking at things a little bit differently, thinking about things differently. Um, and then another thing falls into place once you make that lifetime commitment to writing is uh, when you have free time, you know what to do. It's very clear. You know, <laughs> you got to write. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it, it it clears up a lot of things for you, and it helps with time management. Helps you realize, you know, what you what you have to do. If you if you consider it like a hobby or just kind of you're dabbling in it, um, it's easy to fall, you know, uh, lose motivation and and uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to let things go. And uh, and writing is like uh, it's uh, it's a lot about routine. It's about you know trying to get in, you know in front of the keyboard every day, get the work done, you know, three pages a day, a thousand words a day, whatever, you know, all, all the all writers have like different uh, routines and they are very routine oriented, kind of ritualistic. Either they get up really early in the morning, like at 5 a.m. and write from 6 to like 2 or they, they write all night, you know, which is more my style. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I mean, I'm sucked in right now, and I'm I'm on an interview with you. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. I feel like I'm in school again. I'm like, okay, I'm taking notes here. I'm thinking about this. I'm feeling what he's saying, and my mind is racing as I'm listening to him. I'm thinking about my life as a writer. I mean, yeah, so you're, you're, you definitely got something going on here because, you know, I used to be a teacher. You know, I did this 
did it for over a decade, and I, I, I love when I'm talking to another teacher. I know when I'm talking to another teacher, and I stop what I'm doing, and I listen. I made a decision in life to remain a student for life. Miss Know-It-All died a long time ago. She was alive and strong, and, you know, Miss Know-It-All knew everything, you know? And <laughs> yeah. she died, you know? And, and the student for life came forward, and, and yeah, I, 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 I love what you have to say. This is amazing. So... How can we, how can a person, how can one work with you? Now, do you do still, do you do still, still do show running at all, David? I'm just, uh, you know, I'm dabbling a little bit in that now. I wrote a, a half hour pilot for a kid's show recently and, but I'm not full time, that's a full time commitment, you know, that's seven days a week, 24-7. So, I'm focused on therapy right now. I, I do write a blog called Hollywood Therapy on a big website mm-hmm. called Psych Central. And I write about how, uh, you know, the, the challenges that writers face. And, uh, like I, like I said, I cover all these topics, rejection, procrastination, uh, deadlines, horrible bosses, difficult actors, all of those things. Mm. So Some people don't think that? about. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, so I try to. It's all practical advice, you know. But some of it's, you know, a little bit psychological. Some of it, some of it's more career oriented, like what kind of day jobs are good for writers. Um, I had a job working as a, a script reader for a studio, and that really, you know, every day I read, I read a different script, and I had to write coverage on it, and kind of either recommend it or pass on it, and. You really learn a lot about writing, doing that. You learn, like, which scripts rise to the top and, and which scripts are just kind of flat. And uh, that's so that's a job I recommend for all young writers, it's, if you can get that job. I got paid 50 bucks a day to do that. And at the time, it, you know, it kept me going. Yeah, and it, it, it's like, you know, some people look at it and say 15 bucks a day, God, I don't even get out of bed for that. That's the grunt work. But that's the, that's the, that's the magic. That's the magic. That's the magic where you're literally learning as you're reading because you're like, wow, that script can take your mind over and emotions. You're like, okay, this is something good. I like it. Then you have the ones that just don't do it for you. It jumps around. It's like, okay, what the hell am I reading? What? what let me go back and read this other page because I got really lost. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's 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 amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I had to I had to ten bar at the same time as I was doing that job. So. Every day I drive into Hollywood, pick up a script, come back. I take it to the bar with me while I was, you know, behind the bar and try to read it. And then I go home like at 2 a.m. and write up the covers. Uh, but, you know, it, it was an invaluable experience. Uh, mm, it is. It is. So, so how can we work with you? We want to, you know, hire you. What's the process? Yeah, well, you can either go on my website. Uh, I have two, actually, David Silverman, LMFT.com is for psychotherapy. Uh, and it's, you know, just to help writers with motivation and to get, you know, uh, get through things. And I kind of have a, like I've been there and done that, so I kind of have like a window on what that lifestyle's like. And so I can, I feel like I'm a pretty good uh, uh, advocate for, for writers and uh, understanding what and uh, there's also a web- website called HollywoodScriptWriting.com. So I also do coaching, career coaching for writers as well. Um, and you can always call me. 
at this number, uh, 310-850-4707. And we can talk. As a therapist, I give, you know, I have a free first session. I have that as a rule. So we can get to know each other. That's a big deal in therapies, you know, the, the fit that you have with your therapist. You know. So I, I let people get to know me and spend an hour with me and decide if they want to continue. Well, and I'm sure once they talk to you, they want to continue. (laughs) (laughs) They usually do. They usually do. Yeah, yeah. Well, David, is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Because this has been an hour of power. That's what I'm going to call it, an hour of power. And I don't call myself an hour of power. (laughs) Yeah, no, I guess guess I've uh, I've, uh, pushed this to the limits already. So. Uh, no, really I mean, this is amazing. Oh, my God. This is bad, literally. Who knew you were going to have the same background? Yeah, this, I, is, this is just phenomenal. I work with autistic kids in special ed as well, you know, doing as a behavior therapist. So I know where you're coming from. Yeah, and, I mean, being one of those kids still, you know, I mean, you know, the whole developmental delay thing. And, you know, it's just like, you know, I just remember being devastated when I got taken out of second grade and put into first grade. I, I just, that never, like, left me. And, of course, I went to therapy and, and healed most of it. But, God, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, because I wanted to bring my Barbie dolls to school. You know, I hated that she looked in my bag for my, you know, I think I was, the, the book, you know, back then you have to book reading rainbows or kaleidoscope or something like that. You remember the book, you know, whatever book you were in. Instead of bringing my book to school, I brought my Barbie dolls to school. And at the time I had a, I had, you know, uh, I was supposed to do a report on something out of reading rainbow and I your report on Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk fighting the bear in the woods. <laughs> they were like, she doesn't follow directions. <laughs> She's uh, reading about so, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> right. You were into the Hollywood scene even then. And I didn't even realize that I was, you know. And then I, you know, they looked in my bag. And, of course, you know, a lot of people don't remember this, but I loved um, – you know, Space 1999, and then they looked in my bag. You know, my mother had probably a little Angie Dickinson doll from Police Woman. So I had Angie Dickinson's doll in the bag. And I didn't bring the school books. It was like, no. And you know what's crazy is that I remember, you know, Angie Dickinson, her name was Pepper on the Police Woman show. Right. And I kid you not, you know, I had a baby years later, and I don't know where I got it from, but I started calling my kid Pepper. And he's oh, still Pepper till this day. So that's his nickname is Pepper. So it's like, wait a minute. That's, that's <laughs> cute. That's very cute. That's a very, very cool story. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you and I seem like we could just sit down and talk about this for hours because I'm telling you, I'm, I want to come back and interview you again. I normally don't come back and interview people for a second or third time. It's like, okay, I interviewed them. It was great. Let's, what's next? You know, I'm impatient. I have ADHD. <laughs> oh, you interviewed him last week. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I remember him now. So, no. <laughs> Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to have you back and Maybe we can do a second one around case studies, you know, um, because, you know, we're in the heart of Hollywood, and this is the stuff that people want to know about, David. This is the stuff that no one's talking about, and if they are talking about it, it's, a, it's fluffed around. It's not coming from a legitimate, a legitimate psych, psychological perspective, Right. Yeah. and I, that's yeah. what I like about yours. I, yeah, yeah, I've actually gone through the entire 
3,000 hours of internship and passed all the licensing exams and everything. So it's the real deal. Yeah, you're yeah yeah. You're not a piece of sweet potato pie. You're the, you're you're not a slug. You're not a piece of slug. slug. <laughs> you know, you're you know what I mean. You're the you're the guy. You're that guy. So yeah, and I mean from one you know therapist to another, I salute you because you know like I said, I I remember I I wanted more training at one point in 2003, and I just I was living in Connecticut at the time, and I just remember saying I remember I was gonna looking at going to St. Joseph's College in Connecticut to check out their licensed marriage and family therapist degree. And I just remember them saying, oh, you have to do all this stuff all over again. I'm like, wait a minute, I already have a master's degree. You're not going to take these credits and this credits. And they're like, well, what, is, what model did you take? I was like, I, I took the medical model. And they were like, well, this is the systems model. Kimberly, it's the systems. We choose the whole system, the family. So it's like, trust me, I am so there with you, David. You have no idea. I, I, I was talking about a meeting of the mind. I'm here with you today. Oh, that's so great. I'm glad, uh, you know, we, we were able to discuss all these topics. They're really interesting to me, and I can tell that you're you're interested by them as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, and not knocking Hollywood, a lot of people didn't get their master's in counseling psychology. A lot of people didn't get their master's in MFT. A lot of people, you know, maybe have gotten their, you know, bachelor's uh, in, in art in the arts or something, but it's not a Requirement. And so when you go forward and you get your master's or your Ph.D. or whatever, and then you incorporate that into your Hollywood lifestyle, that's a whole other ballgame. Now you're, an, you're a, an expert. Now you're, you're – because you're coming from it from having had major uh, uh, tipping point success all the way to the psychological Einstein aspect of things. So yeah. this is a whole yeah, other ballgame like you're playing here. I'm able to bring a lot to the table in terms of having been there and gone through, you know, had, you know, making a career last for 25 years is not easy. Yeah, your your success was colossal. It wasn't it wasn't a pinch in the sun. It was your your success was totally colossal. Yeah, colossal. Like I said, you're the guy. You're that guy. I got in trouble in Alf. You're that guy. It's all your fault. (laughs) All right. Again, I take your responsibility. You're so funny. You're so funny. But I'm serious. So. Yeah, you you have you've had colossal success that spans almost thirty years. That's not a little bit of time. That's not a little bit of time. Um, and then you and then you have the psychological aspect of things. So yeah, you're in more than a, a, a qualified position. You know where you've been the create you've been the creator, the writer, and the producer. Colossal success in those areas, and then you have brought the psychological aspect of things from a systems perspective. To Hollywood. That's again, I salute you. No, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again. I do too. I, I do too. So I'm gonna. Well, folks, you know, you've heard it right from the horse's mouth, or literally, as we would say, right from David's mouth. Um, the steps that you need to take to understand what your career is doing and how to manage your career as a writer, as a creator. And, you know, David Silverman, you're talking about the Simpsons, the Rugrats, the Thornberries. We could go on and on here. But, yeah, we're talking about David Silverman, guys. We just had an interview with him. He is amazing. He's done some amazing things. And now he's helping you manage your writing career. Guys, if 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 you know like I know, you know, you would hire the Hollywood therapist, Hollywood therapy with David Silverman. Uh, And you can – 
go to his blog. Go ahead and share your your uh, your your blog again, uh, David. Yeah, the blog is called Hollywood Therapy. It's on a big website called Psych Central. You can Google that. And uh, I've written, I think, over a hundred uh, different blogs on different topics from. Rejection, motivation, inspiration, procrastination, rejection. You name it. Anything that can come up in a writer's life, I've tried to write something about it to be that you know, something that's of, of practical use to a, a writer who's you know, maybe starting out or maybe in the middle of his career. So that and that Yeah, and Psych Central isn't a little blog either. That's that's a huge website full of filled with resources from legitimate people that work in, in, in psychotherapy from PhDs to you know, to you name it. So yeah, that's a huge blog. Yeah, yeah, it reaches hundreds of thousands of people. It's, um, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to be. I take it for granted now. I'm, I'm going on my third year there. Wow. Well, David, you've done. You, you're 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 beyond successful. You are a guru to me, and I thank you so much. You know, and I don't call people gurus. You know what I mean? I mean, Tina Turner is one of my gurus. I love her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oprah is one of my gurus, and you know, uh, there's a couple of them. Tom is a guru. I don't care what people say about Tom Cruise. That guy, you can learn some things from him, man. So it's like, you know, you're a guru. You're in that. You're in that. You're in that. Uh, you're in that category. You're you're one. You're one of the good guys, and. Or to Robert De Niro, that's one of my gurus. He's a good fella. You know what I mean? So, yeah, Al Pacino, another guru. So, yeah, now David Silverman, you've been added to my plate of gurus, my go-to people. So, I love you to pieces, David, and I said it out loud, and I thank you so much for interviewing with us today on the Huffington Post, and I look forward to talking to you again. All right. Okay, me too. All right, take care. Thanks, guys, and thank you so much, David, for interviewing with us today. Have a wonderful day, and happy holidays, David. Oh, uh, you made it a pleasure, really. You, you really uh, made it a pleasure to, to talking about. Well, this thank stuff. you. It, it is it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. So we will be talking to you again, hopefully, maybe uh, before the New Year's is out, guys. We'll bring him back and 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 get some more out of him. <laughs> okay, I'll look forward to it. Okay, take care. All right, David. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This is Kimberly Jessica signing off in Hollywood, California. Have a great one, guys, and happy holidays.